everyone. Welcome to the holiday episodes of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host Emma Pulova. I would like to thank our sponsors, Doc Chavent and the Lowell Ledger, our hometown newspaper in Lowell, Michigan. Today, I will be chatting with author Karen Tintori, who will announce the details of her book giveaway of Unto the Daughters at the end of the interview. Karen Tintori is an internationally best-selling author of fiction and nonfiction, whose books have been translated into 25 languages and made into film. Her writing covers a broad range of subjects from the Italian immigrant experience to the mysteries of the Kabbalah. Ciao, Karen. How are you today? Ciao, Emma. I'm fine. We, we finally got a break in the weather today in, in the Detroit area. Did you? We finally got the same thing, a break, and it feels really nice. I can actually see grass. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I will start us off with a review. Nearly every family has a skeleton in its closet, an ancestor who sins against custom and tradition and pays a double price. Karen Tintori refused to allow the truth to remain forgotten. This is a book for anyone who shares the conviction that all history in the end is family history. I share that conviction. I deeply believe in that. Okay, so how did you manage to combine a true crime story with a memoir? It was very, very interesting. I, coming from, I'm Italian, that my, you know, heritage is Italian on both sides of my family. My dad's from the north and my mother from Sicily. And with Sicilians and with Southern Italians, especially, you don't tell, you don't air the family laundry. You don't tell family secrets. Uh, if you've watched The Godfather, any of The Godfather films, there's this omerta. Mm -hmm. Keep quiet. So when I discovered the story of my murdered great aunt, uh, half of my family is telling me to write the book. Another half, including my mother, screams at me that my father never knew this story. And he was her soulmate. And he went to his grave without knowing it. And so I wrote it as fiction. And I wrote it three whole times. As I can't, still today, I can't believe I wrote three entire novels as fiction. Each time the protagonist was a different age. Started out in in a genealogist in her 40s who's snooping and finds this picture uh, of her grandparents' wedding. and But they're wearing wedding clothes. They're not wearing the peasant costume that in my family, we grew up with a tinted, hand-tinted picture of my grandparents. That was their wedding picture. So my inciting incident was always this wedding picture. I know that's Uncle Louie in the picture. Who's this girl who looks like me? Well, it didn't sell three whole times to any publishers. And I changed the age from one of my cousins was in film uh, school and said, you need to make the protagonist closer in age to Francesca, like 16 or 17. So she could think, oh, my God, if that could have been me murdered. Finally, an, a former editor of mine said to me, you need to re give yourself permission to reimagine her life. And I had written another book from the other side of my family history. My grandfather on my dad's side survived our country's worst coal mine fire. And I wrote that as narrative nonfiction. Like you, Emma, my training is as a journalist. Yeah. And so I used, I, what, what I like to say is, you know, um, Truman Capote, when he wrote in Cold Blood, he invented this narrative nonfiction genre. 
Okay. And so I, I like to say I use my novelist's heart and my journalist's head to combine it. And so I, I had to insert myself and my finding out, you know, that she was murdered and this whole tragic story in telling her story. Okay, so basically you modeled the protagonist, Francesca, after well she truly existed right she truly existed um i grew up knowing very close to my mother's side of the family and uh, my grandmother i knew i knew was one of nine children there were three boys three girls and three boys mm -hmm. and my great-grandmother was pregnant at the same time as my grandmother was with my mother so my mother has three uncles who are about her age or had they're they're most of them yeah they're all gone now um so uh, there was a fourth daughter and she was a family secret for 80 years. And uh, I discovered it uh, when I was doing research for, for the other side of my family. At that time, I didn't speak Italian. I was trying to find uh, information on my grandfather who survived the Cherry Mine disaster. He died before I was born. So mm -hmm. I started doing genealogy with him. And it was difficult to write to Italy for records and for documents when I didn't speak the language. I'm, I'm like a fifth grader now, probably in Italian. And my mother kept saying, oh, well, our family, you don't have to do that for our side of the family. Grandma's got all the papers. Grandma's got all the papers. And I, I found out the story by accident. My, my mother's youngest sister actually told me behind her mother's back, uh, that's part of what I'm going to read for you later, um, that there was a fourth sister and that she is somewhere uh, at the bottom of the Detroit River off Belle Isle and that she was murdered by her older brothers in an honor killing. Now, I know they came to, the my great-grandfather and the older boys came to work in Detroit laying railroad tracks for the trolley cars. And so then after they had been here for a while, they sent for the rest of the family. And, and so Francesca and my grandmother and the kids who were alive at that, at that time came over in 1914. I couldn't find her on the 1920 census. So I know sometime between 1914 and 1920, she was murdered. And the night that they killed her, they, they erased her from the family passport. They scribbled her name out. They burned all her clothes. And nobody spoke about her again except her mother and her sister's you know, in whispers at night when, when the kids were sleeping. It was like people were terrified to even mention her name anymore. Wow, that's quite a story. It is. It took me 12 years to figure out, to, to I interviewing family members. I I couldn't ask my grandmother. My grandmother was so upset that day that, that my aunt literally behind her back, I told her I she was living with my aunt. Uh, by that time, my grandfather died, and my grandmother li lived one week at a time with her three daughters. That week, she was with my Aunt Grace. And when I came in, I went around the table. My grandmother was sitting at the kitchen table to give my grandmother a hug and a kiss. And she's already sputtering in Sicilian, who's she going to show, who's she going to tell? And my aunt comes around the table on the other side with a family passport and literally behind her grandma, her mother's back opens the passport and says, that's the one they got rid of. Did your mother ever tell you? And I go, and she goes, oh, never mind." And she closes it and goes away. When I call my mother later that day and she screamed at me to forget it, to let it go, that my dad never even knew the story. 
So my grandmother was so upset. I couldn't, I didn't want to ask my grandmother any questions. I asked my aunt. I asked some of my mother's cousins who were the, who were the children of the youngest brothers. Um, did a lot of investigating and got books on what the Sicilian peasant life was like, you know, in Italy. I'm like, how could this happen in my family is what I wanted to know. So I spent 12 years in research and I followed the common thread in all the stories. And that's when, when my editor had said, you have to give yourself permission to reimagine her life. I started back in Sicily and then knew what was going on here. Well, here we had prohibition with Detroit being right across the, like a mile Detroit river. And then South of us is Windsor, Canada. It's probably about the only place where Canada is South of, of the United States. And so when the lake, Detroit river froze over in the winter, they would go across the ice with, with booze. And um, so anyway, that was the time period, right? Women got the vote in 1920 just at a time where an immigrant would come here and a woman, you know, and, and have a new life open up to her uh, away from the strictness of how Sicilians women grew up. Um, I don't know if, if you knew this, but they could sit outside, but they had uh, in Sicily, but they had to have their back to the street. They could visit with their neighbors side door to side door, you know, like, like sitting in front of their houses, but they had to have their backs to the street. And if they even went to church, they had to be accompanied by a man. So you think about, you know, my grandmother and the other daughters, then eventually, and then this, the next generation became Americanized and Westernized and uh, had a little more freedom, except my mother had to take her brother on dates for a while. <laughs> So the sparking incident or inciting was number one, that photo. And then when you saw the passport, right? Yes. But the, the interesting thing is that when the day my grandmother died, now my grandmother got, my grandmother got married in 1916. Um, my grandmother was 15. My grandfather was 25. They got married here in Detroit. And so my grandmother moved into her, you know, into a house with my grandfather, didn't live with her family anymore. The day of her funeral, one of my cousins, the one who was in film school, uh, at that time, funerals have changed here a little bit and people aren't um, laid out for three days anymore. Uh, but my grandmother was. And on the day of the funeral, my cousin comes up to me and he goes, did you see the picture? And I'm like, what pic? And I knew it had to be a picture of Francesca. Mm -hmm. And he he said, my mom, my mom put it, Grace, the one who told me the secret. She put it next to the casket. So we get to the luncheon after the cemetery. And I go up to Aunt Grace. I say, Aunt Grace, can I see the picture? Oh, well, this, that. And they start to stall me like they had been stalling me on the family documents for years and years, which I didn't realize that they were stalling me. And so I went up to her husband, Uncle Sam. I said, Uncle Sam, Aunt Grace wants me to go get something out of the car. Can I have the keys? So I went to the trunk of the car and the picture was upside down, Emma. And I turned it over mm -hmm. and it was my grandparents' true wedding picture in a gown with a bouquet, with a boutonniere. And there were two extra people in the picture, both of them sisters of, my, of Francesca, 
but of my grandmother. She had three sisters, but only two were in the picture. And there she was in the picture. And I looked up to heaven and I said, thank you. You wanted me to tell your story because what I invented was the truth. There was, there was a real wedding picture and she was in it. So you're the inventor of the truth. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you have people telling you, don't, don't tell this, I changed the family surname because if you did a Google search for the real surname, there are people who, who probably in the family still don't know this horrible story and they are prominent in their field. And I don't want to cast aspersions on the family on anyone. And so that, you know, my, my grandfather and grandmother's first names, you know, some first names are the same, but the family surname I did change to protect people in the family who don't know the story, but um, yeah. But other than that change, everything is real. Yes. It's the truth reinvented. It's the truth reinvented. Based on what was going on here, you know, I knew it, she eloped with the young man that she was in love with rather than marrying who my great grandfather who had promised her to. And even at that time in Sicily, if a young woman was promised to somebody she didn't want to marry and she fell in love with someone else, they eloped. And when she came back, and she was married and she wasn't a virgin anymore. She won, right? Because who's going to want her now? You know, yeah. So Francesca thought when she eloped with her barber that she would escape the marriage to somebody 20 years older than her. And it, and it, it wasn't. It was her, her. In Detroit at that time, my great uncles were, and a lot of the kids were in street gangs, and they were, this is another reason to change the family surname, right? They were stealing tires. They were running liquor. They were stealing cars. There was some stuff with prostitutes going on. So my great-grandfather wanted to get them in a better gang. It wasn't the mafia like the mafia you see in the grandfather, the godfather. It was like um, a street gang from Corleone. She was actually, Francesca was born in Corleone, believe it or not. Like, Corleone. And, yeah, and there was a street gang from Partenigo. There was a, just a bunch of, of kids, hoods. And so I guess my great-grandfather figured if he promised her to the son of a better gang, oh, okay. that his kids would get a leg up, you know. And so it was actually her brothers who took revenge on her and who killed her. Why is this called an, uh, excuse my ignorance, why is this called an honor killing? She disgraced the honor of the family. She disgraced the honor of, okay. Whoa, is this the one that's going to be made into a movie or? Oh, I wish, I wish. Do you know how many people say to me, this should be a movie, this should be a movie? It, should be. it definitely should be, no kidding. I I write screenplays so I can, yeah, this should be a movie, definitely. Okay, once you had this all figured out and talked to the editor from St. Martin's Press, who told you to reimagine this whole story. How long did it take you to write it? Physically. Uh, about about a year because I had pretty I had pretty much written it, and then she changed the whole timeline. Emma, I started in I did it chronologically. 
I started in Sicily and then I carried through to Detroit. And she said to me, you know what? I am seeing a lot of similarities between Francesca's life and you and my mother's life. And so she drew this, this eight, this Mara mm-hmm. Morris figure. Mm-hmm. And she and she put this happens here and this happens there and everything kind of comes together in Detroit in the middle. And she had me write it out of order. So it took me about 18 months to revamp the whole thing and send, you know, do the edits and, and so. Okay. I was really happy. I loved my editor, Nicole Argyris from St. Martin's. She was terrific to work with. Yeah. So we pretty much touched on the challenges, right? Or any other challenges that you face during the right no, of this? No, story. in fact, my mother eventually started to come around when she knew that I was going to, she knew that her journalist daughter was going to write this. And so she, she would call me, she would call me up and say, you know, I just thought of something else that happened when I was a little girl. Do you want to put it in your book? And I'm like, some of the things I, some of the things were appropriate, you know, would fit the, fit the story. And so I was like, okay. But unfortunately, both my Aunt Grace, who told me the family secret, and my mother died before the book came out. It, it's dedicated to them and to Francesca. Oh, that's too bad. I know, I know. What do you feel you did right? That you hit absolutely on the nail. No one else could have done it like you. I felt that I owed it to give her her name back. And and I what, what I figured I did right is, it, interestingly enough, you know, women who are abused are often made to feel that it's their fault that they're abused. Yes. You know, yep. and so when I start, when, when I first said something to my mother, she said to me, oh, she, Aunt Frances had hot pants. She was running around in the alley with boys. And I'm like, no. That does not make one shred of sense because my grandmother got engaged to my grandmother, grandfather at 14. For the first six months, he sat on one side of the living room. She sat on the other side of the living room. Their parent, Her parents sat in the middle and they could talk. The second six months, the parents left the room, but the younger siblings would come in and out and check on them. Like no physical contact. Uh, uh, shortly before the wedding, my grandfather had gone to the in his future in-laws for dinner, forgot his hat. My grandmother looks at the hat coat rack, sees his hat, takes it. He comes back for the hat. She handed him his hat through the door. Mm-hmm. They didn't touch each other. His hand was on one side of the hat, hers on the other. Her father beat her back black and blue, chained her to her bed with the dog leash and said the wedding is off. So I'm going, if my grandmother got that happened to her for handing my grandfather his hat, Francesca was not fooling around in the alley with any boys and just got a warning. That made no sense. So I just kept following. And then when my mother, when my mother was dying, one of her uncles, who was like her, like a brother, because they were the ones, the younger ones, her, her age, came in from out of state with his daughter. And he said to me, if, if there are no strangers in the kitchen, meaning my husband or my sister's husband, I'll tell you what happened. And he told me, what he the story of how she was murdered and it was all of those threads i had pulled together from all the various stories and he let he 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 said this is what happened and i said okay i got it i figured it out so how was she murdered you mentioned it on your blog or on your website maybe that she was shredded or 
and they chopped off her hands and feet so that she couldn't swim and weighed her down and threw her into the river, the, the Detroit River. Oh. What a way to die. <laughs> what would you have done differently? Oh, I don't think I would have done anything differently. I, I If I had known to write it as nonfiction first, I would have saved myself writing three whole books. But, it, you know... You, as a writer, you know, every bit of writing you do, it makes you a better writer. Yes. So I can't worry about that. And, you know, it's just good writing, storytelling practice. Yeah, that's what it is. What have you learned about yourself from writing this book? I learned that I have a very strong, a strong sense of justice in that, you know, they, they, took her from the family they she's a woman lost to history she's not only lost to our family but there, there's a, a a jewish curse may your name and your memory be erased and that's what they did to her they erased her name from the family passport they burned everything of hers and her sisters and mother were afraid to speak of her because they thought they were going to you know there would be retaliation against them somehow and that w women were powerless so what i feel is I gave her back her name, I say it as much as I can, and I gave her back her place in the family, and um, I hope she rests in peace. I hope so. What about the police? No police investigation, nothing, everything covered up perfectly. You, you asked the exact question I asked my mother. Uh, mother goes, what police? They, they said Francis had to go away you know, like nobody in the neighborhood, nobody was going to live in a Sicilian neighborhood. Nobody was going to turn him in. And when people said what happened to Francis, they said she had to go away and everybody understood. What I'm looking for is what happened to the barber, the young barber she was in love with. Oh. And of all of the male, of all of, I don't know his last name, uh, and of all the mail I've received, I have yet to receive. That's what I'm waiting for, Emma, for the Barbara's family to recognize part of this story and say, I'd love to find out that she escaped, but I, I, you know, I'd love to find out, you know, yeah. wouldn't it be wonderful if they ran away and had a happily ever after, but that's, that's not what happened. Have you tried posting on Facebook that you're looking for, for feedback from the Barbara's family? No, I haven't. Let's try that. Try that. Okay. It works. You never know. You never know. It doesn't hurt. It's free. Try right. it. Right. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. What are the like you said, family stories are our history. Yes. And right now, you know, when we're younger, we don't think to ask questions. And then when people are gone and they're dead for years and years and years, you go, boy, I wish I could ask my father this, or I wish I could ask my grandmother that. I did get my grandmother on tape. It took a long time. I got her on videotape talking about her life in Sicily. Um, but do that. 
that my main takeaway is ask your family stories and then write your family stories, if only to pass down to your kids. I believe in that. Would you do it all over again? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. What is the most interesting or bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person author's event? And you've done a ton. I've I done a ton. What's the most? Well, it it's pretty. Well, the most bizarre thing is the one book that uh, I I wrote with Jill Gregory. Um, a romantic suspense in the 90s called Something Borrowed, Something Blue. During an author, author event, I showed up in a wedding dress with a bouquet and got to meet Fabio. Got to Remember meet Fabio, the romance cover model? I love that. Yeah. So what's next for you? In 2023, we're so close. We're so close to 2023, the beginning of 2023, I will have finished my eighth book and it is a feminist thriller and uh, I'm, I'm chomping down to the finish line on that and, and then I will get started on, a, on the book that I'm excited to write about my meeting the Beatles in 1966 oh, yeah. and, my, and, my, and my journey, my, my two and a half year journey to for that to happen after the stamp out the Beatles people started up here and I thought they'd never come to play Detroit. Write so, it up. Yep, I'm going to write it up. All right. Would you like to read to us, Karen? Sure would. Thank you, Emma. I'm just going to read you a little bit about the setup. This is from chapter one. If not for her father's passport, defaced but not destroyed, Francesca never would have surfaced. She would have remained a woman lost to history, her story swallowed in the depths of the Detroit River off Belle Isle. The passport was issued in 1914 during the reign of King Vittorio Emanuele III, just 53 years after the Patriot soldier Giuseppe Garibaldi led the resurgence that unified a patchwork of city-states into a country called Italy. My family left Italy for America with a single passport. Issued to my great-grandfather, it included my great-grandmother and their children listed in birth order on its inside pages. It was a time when women and children were considered a man's property, when he expected his bride to be a virgin, and their blood-stained wedding sheets were hung in the living room to prove it. It was a time when married or single, many Italian men openly eschewed monogamy, but a family's honor was bound up in the chastity of its woman. I saw the passport only once in 1993, but the secret ancestor it had concealed for nearly 80 years instantly became my obsession. I had no inkling that my great aunt Frances had ever existed. She was a blank. In many families, there are secrets. In Italian families, generations go to their graves without divulging those secrets. My mother had never breathed a word about her mother's ill-fated sister Frances, not even to my father. Despite their 40 years together as soulmates, he died without ever hearing a whisper of the scandal. Obsessed, yet fearful of family reprisal, reprisals for searching out their secret, I fought to piece together my great aunt's story. A guarded snippet was divulged here, a reluctant dribble there, then basta, no more. At times, my mother's and her sister's and their cousin's 
resistance seemed impregnable, made worse because I needed them as go-betweens to Francis's siblings, their parents. I could no more force myself to press my grandmother on a subject that caused her so much pain than I could force myself to obey my mother and let it go. In the face of my own escalating horror, I remained fixated on ferreting out the truth of Francesca's life. She haunted me. It is a Tuesday morning in the summer of 1993, and finally, I'm in the same room with the family documents, my youngest aunt's kitchen. I almost want to pinch myself, for even as I was parking, I had visions of Grace apologizing as she told me she hadn't found them after all. Here's my grandfather's passport, she says, lifting a worn, faded book from the musty box she set on her kitchen table. I just rounded that table to kiss my grandmother, who sits running her fingers up and down the handle of her coffee cup. Aunt Grace sidles alongside me, opening the passport to an inside page, and I glance over at a handwritten list of familiar names. Jabbing a pearl-polished fingernail at one of the entries that had been obliterated, Grace breaks the silence. That's the one they got rid of. Did your mother ever tell you? My head jerks back reflexively as if she'd thrown water in my face, and for a moment I cannot move, cannot speak, my eyes wide with shock. Never mind, Grace says, snapping the booklet closed with the realization that my mother never told me anything. Who's she going to show? Who's she going to tell? What's she going to do with these? My grandmother begins to babble in Sicilian, her voice rising in panic with every question. Stupefied, I look down at the back of my grandmother's head, now glowing pink through her fluff of white hair. Her ears glow bright red with agitation. Gracie, she shouts, what's she going to do with these? People can get hurt. Nice. Thank you. That was Thank you. cool. Your giveaway. Can you announce the details of your book giveaway? I would love to give away a hardcover copy of Unto the Daughters to the first person who writes to me with the um, subject the, line. You have the subject line book podcast giveaway. Book podcast giveaway. Thanks to Emma. And it would be at Karen Tintori at gmail.com. So that's K-A-R-E-N-T-I-N-T-O-R-I at gmail.com. And now parting shots. You first, Karen. My parting shot. You have my my uh, slogan. But in the chair. In, in Italian, in Italian, we say culo in the chair, <laughs> but you add fingertips on the keys. No, I, I, my parting shot, if any of your listeners want to write a book and feel that they, you know, well, I can't, or you want to tell your family story. If you write one double space page a day, at the end of a year, you will have a book. You'll have 365 pages, or even if you take the weekends off, you'll have enough to go back and edit. And, you know, if you've kept a diary or if you've kept a journal, and even if you just pass it on to your family or if you have it for yourself, if you write something every day, you'll be surprised what you'll come up with. True. Stephen King said that. Write a page yes. a day and you'll have a book in a year. Yep, and it's very true. All right, my parting shots. Read indie, buy indie, and write indie. Support your local authors, newspapers, and small presses. Keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair. 
Happy New Year. Ciao, Kay. Happy New Year. Ciao, Bella.